Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. This week I was able to free myself from the shackles of lockdown and explore some nearby and fascinating maritime history. So I travelled down to the Turf Locks in Devon. It's a hotel and pub on the western banks of the ex-estuary and the entrance to the fabulous Exeter Canal. Now, the Turf Locks extension of the Exeter Canal is a much more recent part of the canal. It was added in 1827, providing large ships with access to deep water. But the origins of the canal lie much earlier indeed. In fact, they lie in the Tudor period in 1563 making the Exeter Canal one of the oldest canals in the UK. In fact, the only one that is older is the Fosdyke navigation in Lincolnshire that links the River Witham to the River Trent. And that was built in 120 AD, those damn Romans always winning the prize. Nonetheless, the Exeter Ship Canal, think of it as the oldest non-Roman canal in the UK. Engineered not with the genius of the Romans, but with the genius of, yup, you guessed it, the Welsh. I met the excellent Todd Gray, a local historian who has written a huge number of books on the history of Devon, to find out more. Now, please be aware that this episode was filmed, and we have some really fabulous drone footage showing just how the Exeter Canal cuts its way straight out to sea alongside the meandering, shallow and dangerous River X. So do make sure that you check out that video. It will be on the Mariner's Mirror podcast's YouTube channel, along with some fabulous and innovative material that presents our maritime past in new ways, including my recent favourites, animations of hugely complex ship plans. And we will also publish the video on the Society for Nautical Research's Facebook page. I'm in Exeter in Devon and I've come to explore the Exeter Ship Canal, which probably deserves to be a bit more famous than it actually is. Because apart from Roman engineering, this is in fact the oldest man-made waterway in the UK. And its origins, well, you might think it's Industrial Revolution, the 19th century. They are in fact 
Tudor and the first part of the Exeter Ship Canal was built in the 1560s, just a couple of years after the Tudor monarch Elizabeth I was crowned queen. I've come here to meet a local historian, Todd Gray, to find out more. Todd, we're at the turf, but Exeter, it's like five miles away, up a hill over there, but was it still a maritime city? Well, this is Exeter's rather clumsy way of connecting to the sea. 16th century in its origin, continues through to today, but it never quite worked in the way in which they thought it was going to. The original idea for the canal was so old in the 1560s. Do we know what inspired it? Well, Exeter finally took control of its future. An aristocratic family had dammed the river in the 1300s and 1400s. They fell out of favor with an issue about treason and Exeter was able to get the land and the rights and it thought, how do we re-navigate the, the city? So they put in the canal, which turned out to be really innovative. I don't think they realized what they were doing at the time. They brought in an outsider who was a Welshman and over three, maybe four years, they constructed what's said to be the first lock system canal in the country. Well, what do we know about this Welshman? Who was he? What experience did he have? Well, the city was very well connected at the time and Exeter is a leading part of the country. It's, it's not the backwater it becomes. They knew people in London, they got the best person. I mean, they did very well. Subsequent ones weren't so good for them. Another choice embezzled all the money they raised and ran off with the money, leaving them stuck. But this man delivered. It took a while to control and to, to enact, but when they finally got it together, it, it solved a problem temporarily. Yeah. Why was it so important that Exeter was linked to the sea? Well, Exeter, famous for its discoveries, you know, sea dogs, exploration of the new world, all that was sort of the gloss. The real money in Exeter was in cloth, woolen cloth. And from the late 1580s, 1590s, we started to develop surge, a finely woven, thin cloth, lightweight, and this took off. We became the cloth center for the country for a short while. So from 1680 to 1730, 1740, we were the bee's knees for cloth. <laughs> but we had very poor access to the sea. So what we did was we constructed this canal in order to bring in the cloth and little lighters and little barges. And it worked for a while. Yeah. So it kept Exeter connected to the rest of the world. Is it right to think of Exeter as an international city? At that point, our cloth was being sold Germany, Belgium, France, Holland, Spain, Portugal, and then later on North America, a little bit to Africa, China, India, West Indies. We developed this incredible network of markets and we were very good at it. And then we lost out to the North and to East Anglia. But for a while, Exeter needed this canal to bring the goods funneling from Exeter to places all over the world. And how did it work actually getting the cloth down to the sea? Was it chipped on smaller vessels and then brought here to the sea? Yeah, only small bar barges and lighters. The canal was only three feet deep, so you couldn't have a ship and come in. You transported it from a vessel, come up Exestuary, go off of Topsham or one of the little places there, brought on board these tiny little barges up to Exeter back again. But all the time, there were also pack horses. 
So merchants were continually wondering what was cheaper, what was better, to go by the canal or go by a little horse or pony. So Exeter had to continually up its game with the canal. So we see this series of innovations and renovations, all desperately trying to keep Exeter on top of things. So this was all in the 1560s. We're now standing at the end of the canal, but it's much, much longer. This was extended in the 19th century. What was happening in Exeter then? By the early 1800s, the cloth trade of Exeter had slipped and the money was leaving Exeter. 1560s, Exeter's leading the country. 1800, 1820, we're catching up. So the council had a choice. Exeter City Council said to itself, how do we bring back trade? Some people said, why don't we do railways? But Exeter knew railways were going to die out. They were nothing that was going to be of any lasting benefit. Put your money back into the ship canal. It worked for the Elizabethans. It'll work for us. So they reinvested, extended the canal even further, tried to um, give more depth so bigger vessels could come through because they hadn't been um, put in more water, divert streams and brooks and it just didn't work. Exeter had lost its sort of competitive edge. It bankrupt the city. They put in a new canal basin and they were all waiting for these ships to arrive, which they just didn't do. But what Exeter didn't realize was the world had changed around it. So the canal now is one of Exeter's great amenities. But what it is, it's a series of continual change in the economic climate of the world and the market Exeter was trying to, to foist its, its um, cloth on. And the canal is the only last visual vestige of that. We see in the canal 200 years plus of economics. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do we know anything about the poor people who dug this by hand? Oddly enough, we've got some very nice documentary evidence. There's a printed account, which historians have always been a bit suspicious of. Um, a company of heroic women, of a hundred women dressed in white with straw hat, 
walking down from Exeter in a procession with a band before them, playing their music, all jolly coming down. And in their white dresses, they were there digging out the canal and extending it. And, you know, I saw this like everybody else. And I thought, this sounds a bit, I was suspicious. Um, but then I discovered in Cardiff a few years ago an account written by a man from East Anglia who was here. And he watched these people march down from the city, hundreds of them every day, organized by parishes. And we have over 16 parishes in Exeter. So working class people would come in a group. Exeter bribed them with free drink and food. They would come down, spend a day digging out the canal and going home and coming back again for another day of drink and frivolity. So it's not quite what we thought it was, but it's a most extraordinary account of how this was organized for the city at a very cheap rate. We've talked a little bit about the cloth trade. What about the slave trade? There's a big maritime city. Was Exeter involved in that? The difficulty with um, Devon's role in the slave trade is we didn't have as many voyages as you'd think we had. At the same time the canal was started, we did the first uh, voyages from Plymouth with Sir John Hawkins to Africa, which brought Africans across to the um, Americas. But then there was a lull, and altogether we shipped something like 0.03% of all the slaves you know, were in Devon ships, and there were less than 40 vessels out of 12,000. So Exeter and Devon doesn't really have the profile of other places, but what it does have is a tremendous account of one vessel, the Daniel and Henry, which goes over to Guinea in about 1700, and it's harrowing detail. You know, we can see for a woman she was purchased with a mirror, or a man a small barrel of gunpowder, a few knives purchased in another person. Awful, awful um, details. What's interesting is this was published in the Mariner's Mirror 99 years ago. And this was done long before um, it was a fashionable topic amongst historians. It was just ordinary history. And if it wasn't for the Mariner's Mirror then, we wouldn't have this account now. Let's go back to the Middle Ages. And we hear of the Countess Weir, a local aristocrat, who uh, messed up the river. She messed up the navigation of the river. What's the story behind that? In the 1300s and 1400s, we had two aristocratic families. The first started to put wares down to, to impede the flow of the river. The second one completely blocked up the river channel. And because they were so powerful locally, you know, Courtney's nearby, the city couldn't do anything about it. It tried and it tried and the Courtney's were told they had to do something and they refused because they benefited financially from this. That they were powering their own mills from the river, were they? Well, it was more a case they had the control of the customs at Topsham. So it was easier for them to have everything landed at Topsham where they got the customs rather than coming all the way up. Well, and the control of the um, horses which were bringing up all of the goods. But in the 1530s, the Courtney's fell, in, fell out of favor through a issue of treason. They were dismissed from court. Um, there were problems with their power base and the city wrested control of the river from them. And from that, the city then took nearly a generation to come up with the canal. We're not far from Powderham Castle and that was very important during the Civil War as well as Exeter, wasn't it? 
The difficulty of the canal in the Civil War was it was placed between Powderham, there's Topsham, and then Exeter, all scenes of a frenetic activity in the Civil War. Exeter declares for Parliament, it's besieged by the Royalists, it's taken over by the Royalists for most of the war, then it's besieged by Parliament, it's taken over by them, and throughout this, the canal falls into disrepair and danger. There are skirmishes all around, and the canal emerges in the 1650s in a very sorry state. We can also hear trains whizzing past us. How important was the railway system to the, to the fate of Exeter? What's interesting about the train, which is virtually parallel to the canal, is we have the canal, which was the 16th century savior of the city for its economy. 19th century, the trains didn't save the economy in the way expected, but what it does is it brings in tourism. And we have a complete shift. Economic decline in Exeter in the early 1800s. People come down later on and they see this beautiful old world city. They say it's unchanged. It's old England. They're looking at urban poverty for two generations. But the railway brings people down and revitalizes the economy, first with the coastal resorts, but then with Exeter itself. So the railway, in a funny way, is its is it saviour despite the fact that the city council didn't want it to be here in the first place? It's fascinating now we're out here that the, you know, Exeter is a maritime city, but it's a seriously difficult city to get to by the sea. The navigation's appalling and it's not like Plymouth or Dartmouth. But it's more like Bristol. Yeah. With this torturous river to go through and yet Bristol thrives because of other things. Plymouth, tremendous harbour, and yet the trade of Plymouth was never great. And Plymouth only really does well, I think, during times of war with the naval side. You know, money goes out of the Navy, Plymouth starts to do poorly again. Yeah, and you've got tens of thousands of people there needing to be fed and looked after with the Navy and the ships need to be looked after. Yeah. So there's so much work there. Isn't so there's that kind of work rather than the sort of trade which Exeter has. So it's, it's like Devon's port. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, what I think is interesting about this estuary as well is the Vikings coming up here. I've always been fascinated by the idea of the Vikings because if there is one, you know, one nation who could trade well with Exeter, you need a shallow, drafted boat <laughs> to get actually get to Exeter. So I'm surprised they didn't stick around. As, as well, that, that's the funny thing about I think it's the year 1003, isn't it, where they take over the city. <clears throat> burned the city supposedly to the ground, which is the last huge destruction in Exeter until 1942 with the Germans. Um, but the idea of the Vikings being here, I mean, they would have passed right by <laughs> at some point. Um, and they probably got stuck on that sandbag. So you get, everyone gets stuck on that sandbag. <laughs> yeah, it's extraordinary to think. But and then they didn't come back. I think they probably had one look and said, that's no, not for us. Yeah. yeah, there was a big skirmish at Pinhoe. Um, and I gather still in the last few years, they found Viking artifacts in the fields around Pinhoe. Did they? Still. Um, I was shown one oh, two hoard. years ago. But Pinhoe hoard and, and just lots of things are found in the fields. Um, there's a very good group in East Devon of amateur archaeologists who've recorded the items. Really? I have to yeah. get in touch with them. And I suppose the point is, for the Vikings, is there's no deep inland navigation from Exeter. You can't really go anywhere inland, which is why they tried to build that canal between Exeter and Bristol in the 19th century. Yeah. I mean, it, 
it's interesting. Exeter has a canal at Stover. Um, there's another one, let's see, at the Roll Canal in the north. And there was a part of that great sort of um, 19th century expansion or 18th and early 19th century expansion. Exodus Canal is this aberration. That's it for now. I hope you enjoyed it. Now is the time for me to encourage you all to follow us on social media, to register your appreciation if you are listening via an app on a smartphone. This really, really helps. And thank you all for those of you who've been getting in touch via social media, either with specific questions and suggestions or simply to say hi and that you are enjoying listening to the podcasts or watching the videos. But best of all, do please join the Society for Nautical Research. It really doesn't cost very much. You can buy a ticket to attend our annual dinner on HMS Victory. You get four copies a year of the Mariner's Mirror Journal, which has been published for over a century. And, of course, you get access to all of those previous publications online as well. And, of course, you get to join a lovely, sociable and friendly society with regular opportunities to get involved with people utterly dedicated to the preservation of of our maritime past. There's much more fun stuff coming your way soon, including an interview with the first Sea Lord and another of those fabulous animations of ship plans. This time, we're making HMS Warrior come alive. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.